Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 693 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm great. I'm ready to do an energetic podcast about comics. Mmm. You're supposed to you're supposed to stomp the beans and then filter water through them. The oh, okay. The coca beans? Yes. Okay. Have you ever had like a uh, espresso beans like as a treat? No. Where you go, I, where you like go somewhere said, they have like chocolate covered or like some sort of candy no. covered espresso beans. Does espresso beans taste like coffee? Yeah. Then I don't want to eat them. I've I've oh. I've eat I've like I said I've had a cup of coffee. I've had, I think we've discussed this. I've had two cups of coffee in my whole life, maybe three. Mm-hmm. And when I did, I described it as, uh, "Why does this taste like burnt styrofoam?" <sighs> because so. you don't like good things. I love good things, but I don't like coffee, so it's a bad thing. Put that in the bad place, Joe. No. Um, I got my kid drinking coffee now. Oh, good, energetic kid. Yeah. He's you know on the weekends when he's up early for his bowling and whatnot. He's like, oh, I need to pick me up, and I have my giant carafe of coffee that I carry with me when I leave the house. You know. Well, I have a little thing on a ne- necklace with a little spoon in it. I can. Oh. That'll give him energy for bowl, and he'll be firing balls down the lane. And see, this is how it all comes back around. It's like those long uh, coffee spoons that they used to have at McDonald's back in the 80s. Yep, yeah, here comes uh, Asa Fireball Sposto. <laughs> oh, we'll see. Not eight balls? Anyway. Okay, it's a nine ball. It's so big. Oh, my goodness. All right, so we have a ton of stuff to talk about this week. We have a ton of news uh, everything from DC not only repackaging some older stuff for newer audiences, but changing the box on the cover of the books. <gasps> um, the next Brubaker and Phillips project after their big announcement from last week. Uh, the Ghost Machine is coming to take you away. A huge announcement in the our world and the actual comic world. And a uh, follow-up from one of our stories from last week. The return of the Rob Watch, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, boy. Uh, conventions discussions. We have a walk down Lois Lane with our good friend Becky. We're going to get Lois Lane and Superman's love origin story, as I understand Ooh. it. Yep. Goosebumps, Joe. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Action Comics. Uh, whatever the new Jason Aaron thing is. Issue 1061. Yep. And then we have Zorro, Man of the Dead, number one in what we read from this past week. What we're looking forward to coming out this week. Todd and Joe have issues where we'll be looking at Gail Simone's run on Secret Six. But to get there, we got to read Villains United. And we're going to talk Villains United number three this week. And Todd's uh, short, short, short recap of the five-episode season of Echo. Echo, Echo, Echo. I can't put after effects in on this. I'm sorry. No problem. Uh, so again, mentioned uh, the new uh, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips book uh, coming out announced right after the announcement came out of criminal getting optioned into a TV show for Amazon prime. Uh, their next book is coming out this summer and it is entitled houses of the unholy. Right. That's all I need to know. I'm buying it. Yep. August 13th, write it down. Uh, when it shows up in the uh, previews catalog, we're going to make a more mindful thing on some of this stuff to give folks reminders about this sort of thing. Um, I did peek a little bit at it 
I did too. I'll joke you side, but go ahead. Right. And it's, you know, as a lot of Brubaker stuff is and Sean Phillips stuff is, it's inspired or based on a real event or a time period or things like that. Right. Right. And this is very much uh, going to be in the midst of the early 80s satanic panic stuff. Right. Which is one of those few true crime-y sort of things that I'm really fascinated by. Do you know when I found out about satanic panic as being a thing? I mean, I remember the like, oh, like the, you know, the, the, the worshiping the devil, all that stuff at the time. But that it had a name was when I was reading Department of Truth. Yeah? Like, only a few years ago. That was the first time I ever called, I heard it called The Panic. You know what I mean? So, I think it wasn't that big of a deal around here, is why. It was more of a thing on the West Coast. No, I I get that. But even in the new, or any time it was described, I never heard that phrase. And I just had a little bit more of a foothold knowledge, something of it because of like it coming up on different, like true crime esque podcasts and stuff. Right. But I would say at least in my popular culture thing, if the podcast that I listen to, uh, Necronomicon to be specific, uh, Necronomapod, excuse me, Necronomapod, then department of truth would have been the second. Uh, time that I saw it somewhere, you know? Okay, yeah. Never came up on Doctor Who when I was watching it. Yeah. Well, Doctor Who stays out of trouble. You know, he doesn't right. get into uh, any sort of... Panic. Yeah, he doesn't panic about nothing, that Doctor right. Who. And I was right. hoping the book was about uh, Led Zeppelin, but it's not. I think the closest in my younger popular culture days, because the Satanic Panic stuff is adjacent to the Dungeons and Dragons stuff is evil. Yeah, that that I remember, and Mazes and Monsters with Tom Hanks. Yeah, so it was adjacent to that, but I think they were separate but similar. Like, the right. Satanic Panic stuff was something taking place at, like, a preschool, specifically. Right. Where and, the Dungeons Dungeon and Dragons stuff was more Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Right, and with that whole thing that happened at the school... I didn't know that that was like a, like that was an event. I just thought it covered people being scared that your kids were going to get involved in that. But there was a whole weird thing that was explained in Department of Truth. So, like I said, that was my my education into it, and we'll move on from there. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of image, that's who puts out the Brubaker Phillips stuff. Um, next week is Ghost Machine number one, the f- official launch. Of Jeff John's creator-owned thing at Image, Geiger and Junkyard Joe were it officially, unofficially. Mm-hmm. But this is the official, official. Uh, actually, it comes yeah, it comes out uh, next week. And retailers over the weekend found out that whatever they ordered, they're getting double at no extra cost. Right, which makes me think like Jeff Johns now owns the rights to like Silverhawks or Cops or something. And oh, you think something slippery is going to get snuck in there? Right, isn't it? Have it been like anytime Image did, and I'm joking about those properties, but they're like every time Image doubles your order or gives you extra copies, it's because they had a secret they didn't want you to know about. Hmm. And then it's like, oh, like, you know, Transformers is in Void Rivals. I'm not saying they did that with that book, but I feel that there's something here and they're 
I don't know if they're trying to help the retailers, like, and there's going to be some like reveal and then everybody's, they, or they think everybody's going to want this book. And it's like, well, you'll have them in your hot little hands ready to go. You know what I mean? That's the only thing I can think of. My thought process on this is because this is an oversized 64 page thing. That they aren't going to order heavy on them. Retailers didn't order heavy on them. Mm -hmm. And they were expecting much higher orders on it. And they're like, okay, it's Jeff Johns. It's these things. We feel it's going to be hot. Okay, the retailers didn't take a risk. But we feel strong enough about what we're doing here. We'll eat a little bit of that risk and send out to the retailers the extras that we got sitting around, you know? Right, yeah. Okay. Could That's be my one. Could process. be nothing, you know? Yeah, it could be nothing. I'm getting it either way, right? It was on my list from the time it was announced, you know? Me too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, DC is up to something. It's the Marvels laying low this week. You know, they got enough issues the way it is, right? So it was announced a little while ago uh, that DC was going to take some of their existing kids and young adult stuff that they had published over the last or whatever and republish them, serialize them um, as new targeted graphic novels. Remember they had like Blast and Pip or whatever the two like different publishing arms were supposed to be? Yeah. And they're doing a bunch of young adult novels based on DC comic book characters. It's new materials and stuff. Um, they had said that they're going to take some of the older stuff and put it out, and they just officially announced one of the uh, officials, which is the Mark Russell Prez book mm-hmm. uh, that came out a couple years back. I think it's uh, about eight or nine years ago. Um, that's one of the ones where I like we were just starting to get Mark Russell a little bit more politics heavy than you know you or I like to read in our comics. And the book, I'll never forget that the book ended up getting canceled and that ended up getting wrapped up in the Catwoman election special. Right. Because, you know, if you think about Catwoman, you think about elections. Oh, no, wait. It sounds like that. But go ahead. Yes. (laughs) So uh, I'm glad that they're picking something like this, something a little bit more, you know, female centric. Mark Russell's a hot writer on the come up. Hopefully they cut him a nice check for republishing mm-hmm. some of his stuff. Obviously, it's something that never got collected because the miniseries ended up getting canceled. I just hope that they publish the whole thing, including this, the fine, the finale that shows up in a completely different book months later. Right. Um, and I wish they just put the original Prez uh, miniseries in there. Boy, that was really, really bad in the 70s. So <laughs> give people bad comics. That's what they want. <laughs> It was a different time, and you can't judge. How about that? But, like we said, with Mark Russell and, and you know, uh, a little more political. But if you're going to have a political book, it should be in Perez, Joe. Yes. Or Perez. I'm saying Perez, like George. Perez. I get you. Yep. Uh, lastly, from DC, they changed the boxes on the front of their comics. Mm-hmm. The corner boxes. The corner boxes. Um, Marvel, and again, so DC, it's an oval, it's very stylized, uh, it's got the DC logo, the number of the book, and then depending if it's not a licensed property, it has kind of like a very basic looking version of the logo 
right. of the character, everything from a Bat family person to a Shazam family person to a Superman family person, and so on down the line. Scooby-Doo and Looney Tunes are the only two that get uh, full color because those are licensed property, even though everything is owned by Warner Brothers at this point. And the Pride one gets color, too. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, the Pride one and the Black History Month ones get color. Okay. Right. Yep. Um, I don't know. It's something, you know, we'll see. Uh, they're trying to they're trying to make their covers pop in a different way. Uh, I will not begrudge a company for trying. Um, they're not my favorite corner boxes. Marvel and DC have done corner boxes and stuff like that over the years, and I'm a big fan. And I love these little like you know symbols and stuff like that. It's like you know because people can't see them. It's to me it would be whatever's on the back of the chair in the Justice League. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, round table, if you will. Yes. I always liked when they did that back in the day. They first started doing that. It's like Superman has his symbol on the, the chair. So I, I'm all for it. And I'm just shocked that Nightwing gets his own, Joe. He's not in the Bat family. He gets his own. That's how far he's come. I was going to say, he's he's strong enough and big enough to, I think, carry his own, mm-hmm. uh, you know, corporate logo if you will and a lot of that is based on this current tom taylor run for the book you know the nightwing brand if you will yes uh i i miss the blue and white dc um with the swirl logo was it called the bullet no not the bullet what was the one in like 06 that everyone hated is that the one where it was peeling back a little bit no it was before that one Oh my god. All I know is just bring back the bullet. I think the guy who who invented I Love New York invented the DC bullet. Two things there, Hall of Fame right there. But I don't remember the uh the the what would you call it? The evolution of the DC uh, symbol. Yeah, if I sh- you know, it's not like we're sharing the screen or anything, but I could show you. Right. I bet you Comics. you can find it faster than I could. DC bullet. Ot six. This one. Oh, okay. That's that's the one my that favorite on. one. Is it really? Yes, I love that one. No. Yes, I do. Over, the next one over on the left is the best one. The classic DC bullet from the seventies and eighties. I like the classic bullet, but if you want to be hip and with it, you like the. It's 19 years hip old. and with it. If there's anybody who's hip and with it, it's Joe Sposto. Um, right. The one next to it, though, the newest one is god-awful. Yeah, where it's peeling back. Oh, somebody, I, I hope it. somebody got fired over that one. Me too. Um, but the Marvel ones, I miss the early 80s ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's like the, the picture of the person or the heads in them. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are the best. Uh, the current run on Avengers, they did a variant cover, uh, artist Mark Brooks. One of the variant covers was, you know, just like be the normal trade de- dress of the current Avengers thing. But then like the cover itself would be the corn, like a blown up version of the cover box. Right. But each issue from the beginning was the Avengers through history. So like issue five of the Avengers was that cover, like the, the corner box blown up of the black knight led jacket era you know your favorite era right well again nobody's favorite but it was still cool to see them represented like i i'm i'm okay when marvel acknowledges you know some of the bad times right (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, I love DC just trying to something sleek, something stylized, something, something, you know, good for them trying to be hip and with it. Go back to the 05 logo. It was the best one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the big news follow up from last week. Uh, it was rumor and innuendo on Monday. Um, and then it hit the wire exclusives, press releases, the whole thing. Uh, that in the midst of the 40th anniversary of comics, Ninja Turtles. With the, I think, May, uh, no, June, uh, new number one. Um, okay, so hang on. There's an issue 140 is coming out here soon, right? Mm-hmm. There is a Ninja Turtle Alphas 1 that's coming out in June. And then a new ongoing number one that comes out in July. And that is going to be written by Jason Aaron. Right. Which, you know, probably San Diego, they'll have some big reveal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some giveaway or something, you know? Something, you know? And, like, you get the quotes from the IDW people. You get the quotes from Jason Aaron. Um, Todd, I'm going to be getting, you know, since since my kid was four and into Ninja Turtles, those will be the first time that I get an ongoing monthly Ninja Turtles book. I well, because I guess apparently this run of turtles that Jason Aaron's they're not rebooting it or anything. It's going to be continuation of this, you know, timeline, which is a bit different than the, the past storylines. Um, and it was never really my bag, my my cup of tea. I don't know how many issues I ran on the i uh, the IDW uh, uh, turtles run, but Jason Aaron is is going to do a number one. I'm going to read that Turtles book. Yep. It's, you know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And it's always one of these things where, you know, I don't want to say that we live in a bubble when it comes to our comics. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when a story like this hits pretty big, you yep. have to go outside the bubble a little bit just to see how it's permeating. Right. Um, and I was shocked, Todd, shocked to see the number of people that were not excited for this, let's just say. Really? Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, that's what you do when you read the comments on a article on Facebook, you know? Don't do it. I know, I know. What can I tell you? Uh, but yeah, that's cool. No art team announced yet. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see who ends up doing that, who doing the chores there. Uh, but it don't matter. It says June is the alpha, July is the official book. It's already on the spreadsheet, ready to go. Cool beans. I know yep. it's on whatever my list is. I put it on oh, yep. inside of old pizza boxes or something. <laughs> now, uh, I know this may surprise you, but this story about Jason Aaron taking over the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles leads directly into. Ask not for whom the Rob trolls. The Rob trolls for thee. Now, I really want to make this a supersized The Rob Watch. Okay. But I will be very careful in regards to this, right? Go crazy, Joe. This is where you shine. So the announcement comes out, right? And The Rob retweets the announcement, linking up one of his own tweets. And I'm sharing that tweet with Todd right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, on August 31st of last year, The mm-hmm. Rob tweeted out, did they announce that Turtles takeover at IDW by Jason Aaron yet. Mm-hmm. Now, I noticed that there was a revision on that tweet. 
And depending on what browser you do, you could sometimes find what the original version of the tweet was. Mm-hmm. And the original version of the tweet was, did they announce that Ninja Turtles takeover by Jason Aaron yet? Sorry the movie stalled out for them and underachieved. Oh, why did he take the best part out, Joe? Okay, because the movie didn't underachieve. The movie actually is a box office success, and they're making a sequel, and so on and so forth. So sometimes the Rob gets information, he's very excited to tweet it out or blurt it out or whatever, and then he has to kind of backtrack it a little bit, you know, and I don't know if maybe, like, the tweet had enough likes or views, and none only had 10, um, that he could have, like, just made a new tweet and deleted that one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what you get when you pay for the blue check mark. Uh, when you're the Rob, but that leads us into what the Rob has been up to in the last seven days, and the Rob has been busy, Todd. Has he? So, on his podcast, and I listened to the podcast before this announcement came out, okay? Mm-hmm. And the Rob makes a remark uh, on his podcast, and again, this one I have the quote of, uh, go read Rob's recaps. If you don't want to listen to the Rob's podcast, and again, I'm, I'm apologizing in advance, um, you can go read my Rob's recaps. I try to put them up every Tuesday and Friday whenever the Rob's podcast comes out. Um, but the, uh, no, that was, okay, this was last week's. It was this week's. I'm sorry. Uh, so the Rob states that DC is planning, in his words, an ultimate style reboot this year. And the Rob knows this because he spoke to people who were pitched it and aren't doing it. Okay. Okay. Now, sometimes the Rob gets things wrong, maybe a little bit in advance, but like, I don't know, he's right about this Ninja Turtles thing, right? (laughs) He was ahead of the curve on this one. He knew four and a half months ago, you know? Right. So maybe he's got right information on this, you know? Sure. Um, so we'll see. Now, uh, the Rob also announced and rolled out uh, information about his new creator-owned book entitled Last Blood. Now, I want to play a bit from the Rob's podcast this week. Because okay. it's one thing for me to explain it, but it's another thing for you to hear. And I mean, I mean you, I mean the listeners, and also Todd, because this will be the first podcast that Todd listens to. Mm-hmm. I was making comics and I am going to be giving you a brand new comic from me. It's called the last blood. I talk about it here the most. I don't talk about it on social media as much. I talk about it here the most, but I may be able to offer this to you next week. I may have copies in hand. It is something that it, it, that I've been putting together doing on the side. And, and here's the deal. The second issue was originally the first issue. And then I pushed that off to make that, uh, you know, that <laughs> to make that the, the second issue, but that was originally the first issue. So once last blood number one comes out, it'll be about six weeks before the second. And we have some surprises in store for you, but that occupied so much of my time last week. So clear as mud mm-hmm. there from the Rob. So if you listen to the entire, I just wanted to hear that part where he was trying to explain that like issue two be- or issue one became issue two mm-hmm. in what he was doing. Um, and he may have them in hand this week. Right. The Rob, the only way that you can get this book is through the Rob's whatnot stream. That's it. 
That's the only place you can get this book. So if you want the Rob's new project, go check them out on whatnot. I don't know what you could do about the shipping on stuff. Um, he's got a good ship through rate. Mm-hmm. Not a great one, but a good one. How many are you buying? Zero. Zero, but you're big with the Rob guy. You're an understander. I'm an understander, but I'm not a cash spender anymore. <laughs> right. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'm getting exactly the big squadoosh when it comes to Last Blood, too. But listen, I would be remiss. There are people that listen to the show that are fans of the Rob. If you want the Rob's next big project, he claims issue one is going to be in hand to ship out in the next week. And then he claims that issue two, which was originally issue one, is going to be available six weeks after that. Right. Uh, I don't know if you'll see issue three, but that's just my opinion. How dare you, good sir? You're going to see these. They're going to roll out like clockwork with all the anchors. All the anchors are here, Joe. Now, he he explained that uh, on a recent episode about the the anchors. He was inspired by Jim Valentino. By the way, um, get well, Jim Valentino. He's out of the hospital, but he had pneumonia, right? He's doing well. He's home, so forth. Um, but when Jim Valentino was doing Guardians of the Galaxy at Marvel, he would have some of the big heavy hitters from like George Perez to Mike Grell to whomever ink the cover, right? Mm-hmm. So they could put that person's name in the cover of the book that they did the art and they did the cover. They inked Jim's pencils and that's fine. And it was the inspiration. Rob cited that. Uh, Jim Valentino doing that with the inkers on the covers back in 91 as the inspiration for having 20 different inkers on 20 different pages in the last issue of Snake Eyes Dead Game. Because it definitely wasn't him just doing rough layouts and then letting the inkers do the heavy lifting. Yes. And the Rob also tweeted out that he doesn't do work for like the only work he'll do these days is stuff that he's both writing and drawing. Listen, he's an alpha dog, Joe, which doesn't include covers. And it also doesn't include having multiple co-writers. That's like the loophole. Right. Until, you know, they drive a big enough dump truck of money up to his house and then he'll do it. Until one of the two co-writers get into a beef with each other, they don't talk anymore. But anyway. Yep. The scripter. <laughs> oh, poor Fabian Nicienza. Uh, but hey, you know where you won't find the Rob? Uh, that's going to be at the Albuquerque Comic Con this weekend. Right. Uh, I think the Rob is just doing like an L.A. Con and New York Comic Con this year, he's already said. Uh, but Albuquerque Comic Con is happening this weekend in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, not a ton of comic book folks are going to be there. Uh, Mark Wade and Howard Chaikin are going to be doing like a seminar sort of thing, like a okay. writing seminar. So that sounds pretty cool, right? Right. Um, but media guest wise, uh, Famke Jansen's going to be there. Okay. Uh, Tom Arnold is going to be there. Ooh, I'm going to get my True Lies DVD uh, autographed. Sylvester McCoy is going to be there. Oh, he's a doctor. Like, was he on ER or something? Or No, he was in the TARDIS. Oh, is that one of the spinoffs of ER? No, you're thinking of uh, Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, okay. 
And Clint Howard is going to be there. I'm, excuse me, I'm sorry. Sir Clint Howard <laughs> is going to be there. Right. One of the best Clints out there. Yes. I would... Top five Clint? Definitely in the top two. I would say top three, even. Right. Who's the other one? Clint Black? Uh, uh, margin of error. How about that? Just in case okay. it's a Clint I'm forgetting. Right. The Mount Rushmore of Clint's. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so we'll have the link to the Albuquerque Comic Con in the show notes, of course, if you want a little bit more information about the convention. And we'll have information about the soon-to-be-named network in the show notes as well. Soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows go live, of course, you can find them on their own individual sites. Of course, you could find them in your podcatcher of choice. But the one-stop shop for all the shows is soon to be named network.com uh you can check out some of our other friends in and around the internet uh you can check out our friend mike sterling over at progressive ruin.com you can go check out our friend kevin at hellions team.com you can go check out rick williams the chop shop at free karate chops.storeenvy.com you can go check out jason sandberg's jupiter a la carte through his indiegogo bare bones just the book or all the accoutrements are all waiting there for you you can go check out chris runt's battle monsters his self-published comics over at his website fortressofcomicnews.com you can go check out our friend Davey of the band Cave People and his self-published comics at cavedomaincomics.com. And if you do not have a good comic book store in your area or any comic book store at all, let our comic book store be your comic book store. Comics on the Green, I have the Facebook page linked up whenever there's going to be delays. And we did have some, um, let's say, white accumulation delays this week. Ooh. I uh, don't want to say the other W word, uh, <laughs> but Dave and the crew will let you know if there's going to be any late shipping, early store closings, uh, random mint condition Silver Age Superman books dropped off on his doorstep. Right. Put them out uh, on display the best way uh, he knows. Putting them there on display the best way he knows. Yes. Uh, you can check all that stuff out and you can also sign up for uh, the store's mail order subscription service. Get your books mailed to you weekly bi-weekly, monthly, and if you do, there's a chance you can get a sketch on the package from our good friend Becky, who we're going to turn things over to now for her walk down Lois Lane. Welcome back to my walk down Lois Lane. So, I've covered quite a few of these by now, and all of them contain Lois's love for Superman. So you must be asking yourselves, why him over Clark or any other half-horse, blue goblin, robot, and or alien man? So today's story is for you. This is issue number 53 from 1964. This is the story of how Lois fell for Superman. So let's dive in. Clark has been at the Daily Planet for a month. He's eager to help solve a jewel heist. So Perry sends him to interview the organ grinder and his monkey who witnessed the heist. DC love a good monkey. Clark spots something on the building from where the crime took place. Using the old-fashioned bribery of peanuts and a string, Clark is able to convince the monkey to scale the building and retrieve the jewels. This impresses Lois, and when shown a reel of Superman saving her while she was frozen in the Arctic, she remarks that Superman uses cheap heroics to look good, and Clark uses a bag of peanuts and a string. That's taking some know-how. Lois is told to cover a charity picnic, where Superman is selling kisses. She calls him a conceited show-off when she's given tickets from a movie star who can't wait in line to smooch him. 
She tears them up, saying she would rather kiss Dracula, and as the girls gasp in horror, she calls him a glory hound that she will never like. Perry sends Lois on an assignment to a random island in the middle of nowhere to film an earthquake. He tells her Superman will fly her there. She says she'd rather swim, but after a threat of firing, she agrees to play nice. Changing into her safari costume, that's a line from the comic, Superman takes her to an island that he recognizes. This is the island a mad scientist used to make his own Jurassic Park with Black Jack and giant life forms, but was murdered by them. Shocking. As they reach the earthquake, Superman falls from the sky, hits the ground hard, and tells her that he's hurt. The earthquake has unearthed red kryptonite, and Superman is reduced to mere mortal as the giant monsters start to attack. They make a run for it and find a good hiding spot when the weather begins to rain down. Superman gives her his cape to sleep and spends the entire night shivering in the cold while building an entire Ewok village out of bamboo and coconuts for them to share while they wait to be rescued. Lois is smitten by his efforts and begins to think that maybe he's nice and she's misjudged him. Superman has grown a beard overnight, so as a show of goodwill, Lois uses a seashell she found in the middle of the jungle and some soap she had in her cute little safari outfit to shave him. The Florence Nightingale effect kicks in and she kisses him. A giant snake attacks her and Superman jumps in the way, getting bit, only for the fangs to break off. Superman says his powers are back and they can go home. Back at the planet, Superman tells everybody that the only reason he survived was because of Lois. Giving her credit for just shaving him is the turning point Lois needs to realize that she's in love with Superman. The story ends with her blowing off Clark while displaying a picture of Superman on her desk. It took 53 issues for DC to decide that they needed to let the readers know the meet-cute of Lois and Superman. This is a fun story. It is really cute. But there are other issues of the Lois Lane comic where she is in love with Clark Kent. I can cover one of those at some point. But tune in next week for more Lois Lane. Thank you again, Becky. And as I said last week, if I... I was to do like a Mad Libs. If there was a Superman Mad Libs. Right. That existed in 2024. Remember when we were trying to look for the Catwoman movie Mad Libs to get for Becky? Yeah. If there was a 2024 Superman Mad Libs and we put those stories together from a Mad Libs, they would not be anywhere near as wacky as these early 60s Silver Age Superman Lois Lane stories. Yeah. Um, I will say this, Joe. I've tried a lot of things uh, to get ladies, but I've never went to an island somewhere and had them shave me. And I think that's going to be my new go-to move. There was a lot of inconsistencies. And again, I'm no Mark Wade, but I, I thought Red, I, I don't think Red Kryptonite did what it did there unless they changed it like in like the modern age, like post-Silver Age, you know? Um, no, in that time, Red Kryptonite had random effects on her. Right, okay. It would just be like this time it would give him an ant head. This time he would have, you know, the six-armed Superman. Like, whatever. Um, So him not, like, losing his powers was an option, you know? Right, which there's a completely, like, you know, green kryptonite, you know, hurts him. And then there's another kryptonite that robbed him of his powers. So then, like, one of the random effects of red kryptonite is that. So seems like a waste of a random power is all I'm saying. Well, it's a random weakness, not a random power. So. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, again, thank you very much, Becky, uh, for contributing to the show. Um, we really enjoy these segments. Love the uh, history lessons on these sort of things. Uh, let's get into a little bit more modern history, if you will. Uh, let's get into what we read from this past week. And, Todd, where would you like to begin? 
Um, speaking of Superman related stuff, I'm going to start with, uh, action comics, 1061 written by Jason Aaron art by John Timms. Uh, this is basically the beginning of Jason Aaron's, uh, bizarro magnum opus. Uh, he is running through the different, uh, earths, like the different universes and he ends up on a magic, the, the, the one with the most magic and he ends up absorbing magic because apparently, uh, being the opposite of Superman, where magic hurts Superman, magic, you know, gives bizarro powers, which was interesting. I don't know if they've ever really done that before, but through a series of events, he ends up on our, on our Superman's Earth and talking to him, and he ends up fighting him, and he has his reason. Something's happened with his bizarro world, which, you know, reading is just Earth spelled backwards, which is kind of funny. Um, and... Uh, the thing with Bizarro is if you do Bizarro like uh, people who do accents where you try to get too, too, you know, quirky or too, you want to be too smart about his dialogue. Um, Jeff, uh, Jeff, Jason Aaron does this bit where I can completely understand what uh, Bizarro is saying. And then he gets he, like, he he's super creepy. Jason makes him like creepy. And then he ends up like hurting Superman with magic. And then he starts talking normal, which is even creepier for Bizarro. But then he does something and Superman realizes what he was saying. And it's kind of like a, a twist ending and everything like that. And things go completely awry. Um, very few people get Bizarro where they can do like a an intense story or a story where he's you know trouble. Usually he's a he's a joke or he's just a brute. But this has a reason behind it and stuff going on and just everything about it made Bizarro to me a legit threat and I completely liked it and I want to see where it goes from here. And the book looked beautiful. Bizarro and Superman throwing down and Bizarro just knocking Superman around going like here, going there, going into deep space. It's just, it, it, it just looked grand in the art of Bizarro and Superman, which that's what the battle should look like. Um, yeah. I'm really into the first issue. Yep. Uh, Shock. liked it a bunch. Um, I have, and again, it's not so much as a nitpick, but again, I'll, I'll save it for the very end. Liked it a bunch for many of the reasons that you said, um, you know, obviously, whenever Bizarro is used, he's always used as like some sort of comedic foil, um, a buffoon to be like, you know, made the butt of the joke, or he's the heavy. Like, there's another villain who's behind Bizarro, manipulating Bizarro. Right. By the Pulling end of the Bizarro story, things. right? But by the end of the story, Bizarro figures it out with Superman's help, and now Superman and Bizarro team up to take on whomever has been manipulating him. Right. Right. But this time, Bizarro is the villain. Um, and the whole crux of this, as you mentioned, is that Bizarro World is gone. Now, I, I haven't read a lot of the stuff of Superman. I have a little bit of a blind spot in more recent years of stuff. Um, but there was like a boy Zorro and Bizarro had a family, right? right? And Bizarro World is gone. And as Bizarro's on his search for things, as Todd mentioned, he starts absorbing magic. So now not only does he have all of the Superman powers, but he also has magic as well. So mm -hmm. he's super powered. And when he's beating up Superman and there's a point where he um, uses a spell on himself for a little bit where Bizarro is talking normally. Right. And 
Bizarro is saying, like, with all the magic that he's absorbed, he could see it all except a way home. And I'm just like, oh, what a crushing line that is. Like, right. here's this thing of, like, su- like it's a big level up for Bizarro. It's a big, as the kids say, glow up for <laughs> him to make him the threat as opposed to the manipulated threat. And this line, it's like, oh, I get why he's doing what he's doing now. Who doesn't you know, want to go home, right? Right. You have the empathy for him, you know? And there's a bit in the book, there's a great first issue, like, granted, like, yes, I'm sure they would have loved to renumber this yet again, but I think in the one time in the last 15 years that they renumbered Action Comics, they immediately went back to the old school numbering, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to have that, you know, longest running, whatever, 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 still being published. Um, but this is a great first issue because like everything is explained. You get to see some Superman stuff. You get some Superman inner dialogue. There's a bit with Lois and Jimmy where they give you like the synopsis of the who and the what of Bizarro. If you've never read or seen or anything else like that before. And if I have any nitpick about this is that it tries to line up with what's going on in the Josh Williamson Superman book. Right, with the like the Lexus Tower is now super core. Yeah, so it tries to line up with it, but it's definitely a different story that's being told. And my dopey brain is like now trying to figure out where it fits into everything. And um, that's it on doesn't ma- right, and that's definitely on me. And that's my nitpick. I'm very. It did not take away from my enjoyment of the story, and it's not like, well, I can't read two Superman books that are going on concurrently <laughs> by two fantastic creative teams because I can't parse out exactly where these two things are taking place. I'll just deal with it and enjoy the ride sort of thing. I'm with you. And one of the things I like, too, is like when we see – like not only we do get a lot of Bizarro, but we see like Superman, the bit where he's listening to everything – like yes. we like in literally two pages or maybe even a page and a half, he gets Superman perfect and then we're on to Bizarro. So it's like, okay, we're in good hands here. Yep. You don't need a lot of time to spend on Superman. Um, you know, there was discussion uh recently amongst some of us in a group chat, let's say, and I was really selling Superman and you were really selling Superman, and I think all they just need to do is read like the two pages that Jason Aaron does all the Superman stuff in this book and be like, okay, got it. I'm on board. Let's go. You know, Superman is not the big goof that everybody thinks he is or the, just because he cares. Doesn't make him a goof. You know what I mean? Or or does it make him like lesser? Yep. Or weak or corny or whatever. Right. That's the word I was looking for. Corny. Cornball, yeah. Yep, I'm with you. I think too many people think Superman is corny, and I don't. And he's not. He's not. He's just someone whose heart is three sizes too big. He has an enlarged heart? Yeah. You should definitely see a doctor for that. He should. So uh, the other book that we both read from this past week was from Massive Publishing was Zorro Man of the Dead, uh, written and drawn by Sean Gordon Murphy. Right. Um, We did not know anything about this. I decided to pick this up just because I'm like, I'm in the mood for a Zorro story. And you are a big Sean Gordon Murphy fan. We had talked about the Kickstarter that Sean Gordon Murphy gave up writing his own corner of the Bat universe at DC. 
Right, his own world for Batman. <laughs> Where he has full reign on the entire Batman universe that he could do whatever he wants, and he did what? How many, like, how many six-issue minis on that? Like, four or five? I think he did three six-issue minis, and then, like, uh, no, four, you're right, because if you count the Batman three, I think he did a Harley Quinn one, and then there was a bunch of one-shots peppered in throughout. Right. So he had a Batman gravy train mm-hmm. that he gave up and used the money for to buy the license rights to publish Zorro comics in 2024. Right. It's not like he just left to go do it. Yes. But he bought the comic book rights, which just blows me away. So yep. <laughs> good for him, man. Take that Batman check. Yeah. He ki- and he kickstarted it. He made a lot of money off the Kickstarter. Got a publisher to put it out in the way and the how. Got tons of great creators to come on board and do variant covers for it. Some of the biggest and heaviest names in this. And if I have one complaint about it, it takes place in the modern era. Yeah, I'm. I just what I said was why maybe it wasn't going to be my book of the week last week is because I wasn't sure where it takes place because a lot of people like to do Zorro in the modern era. Yeah, but that being said, I enjoyed this book. You know what I mean? It was like it did. It didn't hurt it for me, is what I and I thought it might. Right. So how to get around that? And we could talk about it because it's more or less in the solicitations. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a brother and sister who are young. Uh, there is a hit on a you know a crime from a crime family. The father is killed. The sister goes one way. She's working for the mob as a driver. The son is kept by the church who feels bad because they were the ones that were negotiating with the crime family responsible for the death of the father. Maybe he went through some trauma. Maybe he's been sheltered by living in the thing where they are. You can kind of get away with some of that sort of stuff. And due to yet another hit on the crime family and the crime family wants to desecrate the land that the, the church is on the young boy decides to take on the mantle of Zorro, like old school, uh, you know, whip and sword and horse and everything Zorro. And the sister is there in the modern era. Like they recognize each other. She's the wheel person for the mob. And maybe finally figuring out what she's doing is wrong. She knew it was wrong the whole time, but she was kind of like kidding herself over it. Um, and obviously Zorro ends up being the backdrop for what I'm sure is going to be like this family story, the reconciliation between the separated brother and sister, but it's a beautiful book. I thought the action sequences were great and just already I'm invested, uh, in the story of the two lead characters working together. I am too. And visually, like I said, I, the Zorro's look is just, you know, timeless. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Um, and there's a bit with a Z etched in a door frame that appears a couple of times mm-hmm. that it's it's very small. And, and it's not like it's hidden. It's very obvious. But there's the bit where the one kid's touching it and the blood's running down his hand. So it's running into the Z. And that's the day things go wrong for their father. And then years later, when the daughter goes back to the church... She touches the Z and it still has like a bit of the blood stain and everything. I'm like, just 
without seeing the Z carved in, it's just really cool because you know, it's like the bat signal. You know what I mean? It's yep. just, it's iconic. And that little bit running through the thing, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And then maybe like, I don't want to give too much away, but early on when they're like, oh, we're celebrating Zorro day, this mythic guy. And then it's like, well, there's a Z in the door frame. He, this town says he's not real, but they're, he's a made up character, but they're celebrating. But was he real? Like, I want to see the flashback too. Like there's so many ways we can go with this book and I'm, and I'm, and I'm all for whatever way he goes. Yep. And it's one of those ones where there's a lot of pulp era folk stuff that's coming out this year. Mm -hmm. Um, and this one, I feel bad because I missed out to remind folks about it. Right. Um, but you could still order it directly from massive themselves. Your retailer. I don't, they're like no sold out notices have gone out or anything else like that. So, you could certainly order it directly from your retailer. Um, I'm sure it's available on whatever non-Marvel, non-DC digital comic thing you use to get it. Right. Is, right. You know? Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Check this book out. It's something a little bit different. And, you know, we'll, we'll do our best as the year goes on. And some of these indie books and pulpy characters are getting a relook and a rehash in 2024, you know? Right. And I'm excited about them all. I know which one you're most excited about. Oof. Uh, you'd be surprised. Hmm, okay. Okay, so you know what? We'll talk about it. So, um, it's coming out in April, so it'll be in the solicitations that come out, uh, later this month. Mm -hmm. Um, but Mad Cave is doing a Dick Tracy book. That's the one I knew it was going to be. And I'm excited for the Dick Tracy book, but, and again, I think the, the writer is Alex Segura, who did, like, stuff at Archie, He's yep. good, right? The Flash Gordon one that comes out in May, June. That's being written by Jeremy Adams. Yep. That's, that's the, the one, one I'm, I'm excited looking forward for. To. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's more in the line of the look of the 80s movie Flash Gordon. Yep. Can't wait to read that with Queen on in the background. Yes. Uh, so that's the one I'm most excited for. Not so much of the uh, Great Garlou book. Oh. Uh. You're not a Garlunatic, Joe? No, I'm not a okay. Garlunomaniac, brother. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is currently in the lead over me with one correct guess. Yes. And I'm going to look at Todd's list. And I'm going to stroke my Fu Manchu mustache. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to guess. Have, you should have April shave that for you. Mm. Does she have a rock in her yeah. purse? Mm -hmm. This didn't grow overnight. So right. uh, I'm going to guess the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Enfield Gang Massacre number six. It is not Enfield Gang Massacre number six. Dang it. I thought it was because it was the finale of the series that it'd be the one that you're most looking forward to. Right. No, it is Rogues number one. Yeah. And that is not the Rogues from mm -hmm. The Flash. That is a uh, what's sort of looking for like a sword and sorcery book that we found uh, well, not me. We like a couple people at the shop that we absolutely love the first miniseries. It's one of the best miniseries I've ever read. And it's funny. And then it kind of like had 
multiple minis, but kind of went off the rails at the time. It was like, oh, uh, did the Joe special where it was like, oh, we're going to do four issues of the six issue mini. Then we're not going to put out the last two issues and we're just going to put out a trade like that has all six issues. And this is one of 24 issues. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Like me and Adam, uh, who's another fan, are taking the over under on three that we'll see. Um, but either way, it's a book that I just want to try. And, and I didn't even know it was coming out because we would get it all the time. And it was from Amigo Comics yes. here in America. And then I knew it was coming, but I kept looking in the previews for it because I follow the writer on X. And I'm like, okay, he's got something coming up, but I can't figure out where it is. And it's from Scout Comics. I was like, okay. So I look for Scout Comics, but it's like a sub-genre of Scout Comics. So it's from Scout Europe Comics. Never saw it in the previews, but our retailer was like, I know you guys get this book. So he ended up ordering it for us. And then they were, he's like, you want this, right? I'm like, oh yeah. If I had seen that two months ago in previews, I would have bought it. But I was looking in the complete wrong spot. So. Right. I, I remember many, many years ago, you had me hop on with this um, and check it out, and I really enjoyed it. But as you had mentioned, it is something that has kind of waxed and waned for a variety of reasons in regards to. Yep. Yeah. But when I saw a new one, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. So I'm looking over your list, and I could get fooled here because there's a lot of stuff. But is the book you're looking forward to most Avengers Twilight number one? No, it is not. It's Cobra Commander. It's Cobra Commander number one, baby. Mm -hmm. I knew it was Uh, one or the other. So uh, just as a follow-up, I mentioned Transformers 3. Um, There was the little backup thing. I'm like, oh, no, I better be careful. This might be the first appearance of uh, Cobra Commander. Well, in Transformers 4, they reprinted the same thing. So I'm like, okay, it's not the first appearance um, of Cobra Commander. But Cobra Commander 1 might have the first full appearance, which is different than, like, the cameo (laughs) appearance. The first full appearance... Of somebody in the Energon universe. Okay. I don't know. Somebody who's been absent from Transformers. Can't wait to find out. Not Voldemort. Okay. But but close. We don't say his name either. All right. So no movement. I like it. I'm good. Uh, The Avengers Twilight thing is going to be interesting. It's a Chip Zdarsky like alternate version thing. Right. So I'm. That's good. That's definitely going to be one where. Uh, I know Marvel, at least in their advertising, are trying to make you think it lines up to what's going on in the current Avengers book, but it's not. Right. Um, I got pushed. Uh, this kind of got pushed on me by Josh at the comic shop. And he's like, because it's an old man, someone book. Mm-hmm. An old man, like that's Josh's bread and butter. And he's like, oh, maybe you want to try this. It's chips. I know you like chips. I was like, oh, I'll try it. And he's like, he's like, I'm all nervous now, because if you don't like this book, I'm never going to hear the end of it. And I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. When would I, but when would I ever run something into the ground, Joe, as I always said? And then I looked at him. I said, I didn't say anything about you, you know, giving me a bad blue beetle bug popcorn thing, did I? He goes, no, you haven't mentioned that since you bought it until just now. I said, that was just me showing you that I could not do things. I said, that doesn't count. And he's like, oh, okay. I said, it but showed if, great if, restraint. If right. I'm just the king of restraint. Um, if I don't like it, though. Uh, you're in trouble and he's now all nervous so oh boy well maybe we'll talk about that next week we'll see 
Right. Uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I are up to, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark. I didn't plug all the shows in the network, but you know all the shows in the network. I'm not going to plug them. Right. Um, but you can also follow along with us with Todd and Joe Have Issues. We're here in 2024. We are rereading Gail Simone's Secret Six. And to get there, we got to read Villains United first. We got a retweet from Gail this past week. That was kind of cool. That was nice, yeah. Yeah, that was a nice little bump in uh, hopefully listenership, viewership, awareness, etc. Uh, but this is Villains United number three, and I'll just get this out of the way right now. Um, I wish Dale Eaglesham did the whole book. Uh, I'm with you, but Dale, you know, misses issues every now and then. Um, uh, the replacement issue, or the replacement artist on issue three is Val Samakis, if I'm mispronouncing that. Right, I think it's Samakis, but yeah. Right, and Samakis's art is a little bit more, I don't want to say hit or miss, but there's stuff that's really super detailed, and there's stuff that's not as detailed. It's a little bit more of a mixed bag. And sadly, and I say sadly, because this book allegedly ties into what is upcoming in Infinite Crisis, spoilers, it's not, um, I could only imagine that there might have been pressure to get this book out on time with deadlines. I think that has a lot to do with it. Yes. So I will chalk it up to that. Um, the, the crux of this issue is that uh, the secret six, the six just called, they're not a secret yet, um, are captured by Luthor and his society. And they're all being tortured by the crime doctor. They're all being injected with stuff to make the pain, uh, much more unbearable. And the idea is to either get them to break and give information up of who Mockingbird is or, turn on each other and they start to kind of do both as the story goes on uh we get a bunch of the remnants of the goons that got the jump on them at the uh end of issue two and i like that they're sitting in one of the other rooms in the building and they're playing at metropolisopoly right um and we have um it's icicle it's Titana, it's Weather Wizard, it's Count Vertigo, and I can't remember who the fifth person is there. But I like that Count Vertigo, since he's like a count, you know, mm-hmm. um, they're like remarking on what's going on, the torturing, this is what we signed up for. Um, his whole thing is about how the poor capitalism that this game promotes is. Yes. And I think that one other guy is Sledge, by the way. Sledge, there you go. Right. Uh, But this is like a bonding issue where we get a little bit of the origins of some of the newer characters, specifically this iteration of Ragdoll. Um, And that's a pretty creepy origin story uh, for how he has his powers, if you will. Right, because he wasn't born with them like his brother and father from Starman. He was had a bunch of operations, and that's what Mockingbird has over him, is that he needs lube for his joints and stuff. Well, he needs something special for his skin. Right, so he doesn't pop through them with his bones. And Mockingbird only gives him just enough. So that's why he's in. And I do like the fact that uh, when the crime doctor... Like, the crime doctor trying to torture a uh, parademon is absolutely hysterical. 
Mm-hmm. That's like, it's just like, why are we even wasting our time? You know? Well, they don't know that, you know, all the crime doctor knows is, you know, torture and injections. Mm-hmm. And little do they know that the brief, uh, origin that we get for the parademon was, this is just another birthday for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a little bit of how Luthor is attempting to keep, uh, black Adam in line because black Adam does have some morals and some good in him. Uh, but he's also very easily manipulated. So that's an issue as well. And we get to see teamwork developing between the six, specifically between Catman and Cheshire, where Catman leans on her to figure out what the poison is that they're being dealt with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we get to see a a very interesting bit. Again, I I I can't say that I'm a Cheshire historian, that I've read hundreds and hundreds of her appearances. I don't think she's had hundreds and hundreds of appearances, right? No. Um, But it's interesting to see her not just being a fighter. It's interesting to see her in this trying to use her knowledge of poisons to figure out what they're doing. Right. And I, I could say that this was probably the first time that they ever did that. Not that I can remember, but yeah. Right. Uh, So based on that, uh, Cheshire is able to assist Catman in what they're attempting to do. Catman decides to take Deadshot's spot uh, in the torture because they're on a cycle of once every, you know, five hours because there's six of them. Um, And that allows Catman to get the jump on the crime doctor, his nurse. And we get a bit with the Captain Nazi character and the syringes. Yep, that your uh, wife would absolutely love. At the time, this is a book that she was reading, and I will have you know she didn't love that scene at all. What? Right. I'm shocked. Boys, because there was a baby ghost behind them? No, no, no baby ghost behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get a bit of maybe this is the language that Cheshire knows, obviously because she and Catman were able to work together to attempt to get them out. Um, that, you know, maybe she's starting to get the hots for Catman and we'll see how any sort of relationships, uh, burgeon there. And they get the directive from Mockingbird, um, telling them to get home immediately, uh, but not, but not to kill everyone, just to kill one person as a message. Right. And, uh, poor hyena is the one, uh, that gets killed. I will say, um... On one hand, I was sad to see Fatality taken out so quickly, but I was happy to see Fatality show up in this book. Yeah, I always loved like the Judd Winnick, uh, Ron Mars like era of uh, Green Lantern. The villains were really cool. Some new villains were, you know, were brought in there. Some life's blood there, but it's this is the thing that I love about the book is at the end they like whack hyena because they're told to, and. Deathstroke, and this is what made like Gail Simone's dialogue so great, where she's like, "Listen, tell all those people that run the society, you know, talking about Talia, blah blah blah, all the way up to Luthor." He's like, "Tell them they're already dead; they just haven't fallen down yet." Man, oh man, seeing Deadshot say that, I get goosebumps every time they say. That's what I love about this book is the not the characters and the snappy dialogue. Well, everything about uh, Secret Six. It's it, yes, uh, absolutely. It is a baller line to go out on, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I love the bit, you know, as you mentioned, like the line is great, but also 
they're all all the other people are beaten up. Hyena is shot right in front of them, and Deadshot runs down. Like we know who the top six people here are, mm-hmm. and we're telling you by name to tell them we're coming. Yep, so it's good, good stuff. It it's it. You know what? It always works to to you know give your character the rub when it's just like the underdog who's like it's like oh there's a million of you. That's not stopping us. And we're not afraid. You never don't like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I, oh, yeah, I love anybody who stands up to authority. Or at least it's just me. I don't know. And, and I will say, of the six, Deadshot is maybe the one that wasn't as down as the rest or unknown as the rest at this point. Oh, he's obviously the most famous. Yeah, like Deadshot, or, like, he was like, if the rest of these guys are C-, minus, he's B+. Plus. Right, because Catman is known, but he's notorious for being what he was. Yeah. So you're like, what you like, as we use the word glow up way too much around here lately. But yeah, he's getting, you know, he's being changed. And then you're like, well, Ragdoll isn't ra- like the Ragdoll, but here's a different version. Parademon's just a Parademon. Scandal's brand new. You know what I mean? So Cheshire is the only character that has a rub because of the Teen Titans. She right. was, you know, with Roy, uh, Speedy, or whatever you want to call him, and they had a kid together. So she's got a bit of a backstory, but it is between Cheshire and Deadshot. Those are the two. Right. And Cheshire was kind of one-dimensional, um, uh, you know, I up until s- this run. I would slightly disagree because I don't know how much you read, like, when she was do- – dating like because she was a villain dating Roy and the Titans and everything and she had that whole arc where it was like oh maybe she's redeemable and then she ends up helping nuke a small city somewhere and then it's like oh it, like all bets are off like Roy's like I could never forgive you and there was some stuff there I'm not saying it was deep but it's more it's deeper than at the time to me Deadshot being yeah I just have a death wish you know what I mean Right. This is where they kind of bring in the the daughter and stuff like that. But before that, it was all just, yeah, I'm killing. I, I hope I get killed doing this with the Suicide Squad. Yeah, but like I said, I'm I'm having a blast. I'm glad. Uh, I'm hoping y'all are enjoying this as well because, like I said, it's definitely uh, very fun to go back and read something like this. That's actiony. That's punchy. Yeah. Uh, that's enjoyable. That's really good to look at. All that sort of stuff. And that's what this book is. I'm. Uh, Excited and eager to finish this up for the rest of the year. Yeah, we only have, what, like 48 more weeks to go? Something like that. Uh, so we have no art attacks this nope. week. Yep. Uh, no T Public sale this week. Uh, go make any and all of your purchases through the eBay affiliate link. Um, this page contains affiliate links. We may receive a small commission on purchases you make through them. You can use this affiliate link anytime you want to buy anything on eBay and support us at the same time. Yeah. But the real way, of course, to support us would be to sign up for the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Heroes. As little as a dollar a month, you're going to get two bonus shows from Todd and myself. One is Previewing the Past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. Uh, we have January 1994 out, of course, this month. And the other show is Comic Book Oddities, where we're looking at some of the lesser-known, oddball, off-kilter, weirder things from a pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe world of movies and TVs and so forth. 
Uh, this week, we are going to be watching and discussing discussing the Return of the Incredible Hulk TV movie uh, based on the Bill Bixby TV show from the 70s. Yeah, looking forward to this because it's been a while since I watched it. There's one thing in it that stuck with me for years. So I want to see how it holds up in the in like the, the I don't know what two decades I haven't I haven't seen it. And then I may have a question for you that may be a hot take. I can't wait to discuss oh, okay. that when we get there. Cool. And you know, obviously, five dollars a month is going to get you those shows two weeks before everyone else. It's going to get you uh, Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else. You can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. And no matter what tier you are at, of course, you're going to get access to the full scans, professionally done, high quality of all those previews catalogs that we're discussing going all the way back to 1990 available up on the Patreon. And, you know, sometimes the people just don't have time in their life for multiple podcasts. I hope you do. I hope you sign up. And even if you don't get a chance to listen to stuff immediately, we try to keep things as evergreen as possible. Sometimes day and date stuff slips in there. I have a feeling we did a lot of day and date stuff with the blast uh, previewing the past. But, like, you know, go look at some of the covers of those catalogs. And, you know, like, I remember that. I remember reading yep. that. I remember seeing that on the newsstand. And just look back through that previews catalog and just kind of reminisce as what comics were, you know, 30 years ago, 30-plus years ago at this point, you know, as we're doing yeah. this now. I agree. And uh, I guess the last bit of business before we wrap things up is uh, Todd is going to tell us if I'm going to have to watch uh, all five episodes of Echo. No. Oh, okay. um, Good night, everybody. Uh, oh. <laughs> I, I'll joke you. Okay, so it's five episodes, and they get it, it, they get shorter as it goes. Like they start out at fifty some minutes, then by the end, I think they're like thirty four minutes or whatever. They're short by the end. But just to make a long story short, Echo is never likable as a character Aww. through all of this because the gist is she's mad at Fisk since what's happened in Hawkeye. And she goes back to the town she grew up in and we find out like how she lost her foot and she was always like, you know, couldn't hear and stuff like that. And uh, it's like, okay, but she goes back to this town and just makes everybody's life miserable because they're under Fisk's thumb. And by her stirring up trouble brings the goons, hired goons into this town. And she never cares one bit about like hurting her family or her friends from back in the day. And I'm kind of like, okay, she's maybe supposed to be a rougher character. Maybe she'll learn her lesson as it goes on. I don't feel she ever learns her lesson. And the, the part about the first episode is if it's a 50 minute episode, 32 to 35 minutes are a rehash of everything we know from Hawkeye. Like she did this and she ended up, you know, attacking Fisk and her father died and how it's, it's all from Hawkeye. And I'm like, I didn't need to watch this whole first episode to the last 10 minutes. So I was completely bored early on. And then it kind of goes on spoiler alert. She, you know, shoots Fisk in Hawkeye. He's still alive. So it doesn't get interesting for me until he shows up. Cause D'Onofrio does an amazing, you know, kingpin. So it's like, oh, okay. And they do some interesting stuff. If you do not like um, subtitles, you're not going to like this show. Because when she talks, to, a lot of people are doing sign language. And they split in between her doing sign language all the time. So that's when the, the, the subtitles have to come up. Because she, can't, she doesn't talk. 
And then other people will do the sign language back, but then they'll be like, if imagine I'm signing, it would be like, all right, go to town. And they'll talk slowly while they're doing it as they're signing. And it didn't bother me, but it's one of those things that if that's your kryptonite subtitles, this is going to be a long haul for, for it. But they do an interesting bit where Fisk tries to talk to her and he ends up getting these uh, earpieces and lenses. So when she talks with her hands, the lens transfers it through sign language. And when she looks at him as they're talking, it puts a holograph set of arms on him that he signs as she's talking, which I'm like, if this technology isn't real, it should be. And it was interesting, but other than that, I was like, ah. And then there's an after credit scene that pretty much sets up what I think is going to happen in the the Daredevil TV show with Fisk, not Echo so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I say, if you want me to explain what happened, like in detail, I can do it in like less than 10 sentences. You know what I mean? To tell you what happened in the show. Gotcha. Uh, oh, well, superpowers. Huh? She ends up finding out she has superpowers mm. because she's part of this Indian, like the Choctaw nation, and it was handed down through generations. And I'm like, and I don't, they don't explain her powers. They just do things. And I didn't care for it. But in the end, I was like, ah, I watched it to get onto Daredevil, but I don't feel you need it. Yeah. Well, again, we, we you know, we're not going to get into it, but at least there was, you know, the the writer's strike and a variety of other things mm-hmm. uh, has put a delay on a lot of stuff for 2024. Right. But I did see coming out of, what was it, the Emmys was this weekend? A lot of the stars were out, so of course they were asked about whatever they were doing. Right. And I think they said that there's seven days left of filming on season two of Andor. Yep, I read that somewhere, yeah. Okay, they're currently filming the Agatha series. That, I think, is a, like has one day of filming left. Okay, and I know they're getting ready to start on season two of Ahsoka. Right, which sadly, you know, they're going to have to replace some people in that, so. Yeah, um, but. sadly, yes, but... Um, promising news in regards to Andor only because it was, it had like an August date when it first went up on the schedule and then that date went away, um, question mark. But if they only have seven days of filming left, you know, let's turn it around and get it out guys. This is, it's a lean year. The one that I'm looking forward and they haven't given a date. And if I went back to my new year's like end show, the thing that I'm looking forward to, and it was in like their teaser clips, but they don't have a date for it is the new season of the boys. That's definitely (laughs) dropping this year, but we have no idea when. Yeah. Like I think that's like done, done. Like that's wrapped. Yes. They just haven't officially announced a date on that yet, but that's one of the ones where like, I'm keeping an eye on that one as well. Like as soon as that's announced, that's like high priority. Yep, yep. I've been I enjoy that so much. And you have no interest in that uh that spin-off that like that where the kids go to university. Nah, like boys junior whatever it is. Yeah, th- there may need to be like a quick synopsis on that like cuz uh, something happens that's going to lead into the boys and I never like that. Mm. But uh yeah, there is one or two small things that happen maybe big things that they're like, all right, this could affect the new season of boys. If you get my meaning. Hmm. So I don't like it. 
I don't like it either. Like on TV, like comics, I don't mind like spinoffs and blah, blah, blah. But in my TV, I don't want to watch 17 things to get the full effect. Yep. I'm sure they'll do like a recap or something or like thing that you missed or whatever it is, you know? Right. A boys, a recap. Yes. All right, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Uh, This was episode 693 of Longbox Heroes. Uh, For Todd, this is Joe saying thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network. The Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.